conversations that you connect with and react to. SAFM. Well, it's certainly a story that has made headlines. Could it be a father-son race for Uganda in the 2026 elections? Isaac Homo, African political analyst. Dr. Homo, good morning to you. Thanks for your time today. Morning. Morning to you and morning to your listeners. Is it a case of, of keeping it in the family? <laughs> it's, more, it's more than that. Mm. It's more than that. <laughs> And it's a serious thing. But uh, what is it all about? I'm not, I'm not going to talk about the 1920, uh, sorry, 2026 election. I'm just going to talk about the political formation of Uganda. Uh, the political formation of Uganda, basically, Uganda is a country which you can say that it's been run by an ethnic military political institution. That is the... That is the institution that is in power. When you talk of uh, democracy or whatever it is, it's basically a monopoly of an ethnic, military, uh, and uh, with that, they will try to maintain power, uh, be it political, be it military, and economy within a tight group. Now, this thing here, that tight group, is a minority, of course, and you can identify it, it's a, it's a Tutsi, Ankole Tutsi organization. In fact, it's a Tutsi institution. Uh, the Tutsis are the people whom you get in Uganda, among the Ankole, they're also among the other people in, in the Lake Edward area, but you get them in Tanzania, fuse them to some other tribes, you get them into, in Rwanda and Burundi. They are an old feudalistic, military feudalistic uh, rulers of the Great Lakes. And now they've actually come to grab hold of power in certain countries, like in Uganda, they've done it. They did it in Rwanda. They tried to do it in Burundi. And they also tried to get hold of uh, power in DRC. They've lost, but they're still destabilizing the city. Now, that is what people have got to understand about that Great Lakes area. It, it, it's interesting that that's, that's the, the, the framework you're taking because we know that part of what has happened uh, in the last while is that we've had a situation where the president's son, this is Museveni's son, has had to apologize to the Kenyan president, William Ruto. Um, you know, this is after he tweeted about a, a Kenyan invasion and, and that the Ugandan army would effectively uh, take control of, of Kenya's capital, Nairobi. Do you think that a statement like that also has to do with this historical context that you have given us? Well, it's not the historical context, it's just arrogance. Huh? Mm. Mm. <laughs> that is just childish arrogance, but it just shows you how overconfident the guys are. And the guy was just joking, but I mean to say that uh, being a leader, commander of the army, you don't joke like that. You don't have those little talks. But that's why they've actually arrived. They've taken everything for granted. Uh, but with the thing about attacking King and whatnot, it was just... Uh, it was just a joke mm. which went sour and which went bad, but it's unapologetic. So it just shows you really what they really are. They're very arrogant. Let's talk then about the political fortunes then 
of a country like Uganda. You have uh, President Yoweri Museveni. He's been in power um, for 26 years. At this point, of course, he hasn't said whether or not he'll be seeking another term. What does it say, the fact that you have a, a youth movement or a youth um, political grouping in the country saying that we actually are endorsing him and we support him for yet another term? You see, the funny thing is this, that uh, the elections are in 2026. That's in four years' time. They had elections last year and it was so-called elected. But then you find that uh, four years before the elections, uh, that um, there's already political discussion around uh, who's the next president or who's the next candidate of the N uh, National Resistance Movement. Now, the whole thing, it came out of the fact that Museveni actually elevated his son from being the commander of the army to being an advisor in the presidency and then taking another man to put him in, in that position of the head of the army. Now, the move of, uh, of, of Mushozi uh, into the position of being an advisor to his father it is actually it was taken up as the man is being groomed for the position of the presidency. That people saw through it, and so now you find that the whole issue of uh, who's the next candidate of the NPR being in the public space or in the party space four years before the elections. Yeah, so that is the real reason behind it. And truly speaking, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Mushozi is being groomed to take over from the father uh, because basically the family has had a very important part not only in grabbing hold of power, yeah, but also in actually grabbing hold of a lot of uh, economic advantages in that country. The family is involved in almost every major project, economic project or financial project that's in place in Uganda. The eating the oil they are shareholders, they've got a company which is uh, registered in South Africa, <laughs> which has invested in that oil uh, thing uh, in Uganda. Yeah, it's a South African registered company. And the company is actually uh, through the wife now. She was made a special minister for Karamoja, that's the northeast district, which is rich, very rich in gold, but the place is highly underdeveloped. Yeah. But there she is, and now they've got the South African companies going there to actually mine gold. And the family have got a company which is partners to that. So you've got this whole issue. Yeah, It's a thing which is taking place not only in Uganda, it's there in Rwanda. What then becomes the, the purpose and the role even of elections? Can we even talk about democracy? under such a, a context, because it sounds to me more like a dynasty. You know, I mean, to say that uh, when we talk of elections and democracy, I mean, I would not actually answer you because basically, for a start, people are starting to look at the whole issue of democracy differently. And I will just sort of uh, put forward a view, or not a view, but comments on democracy, which has come out of, uh, Latin American and Latin American intelligentsia and uh, academia and also political thinkers, political philosophers, 
Now, there they say that once you have a democracy, democracy for it to actually work, it's not that you've got to have your uh, democratically elected uh, leader or party or organization to lead you. Yeah, they say that democracy has got to deliver. Yeah, it has got to deliver, it has got to better people's lives. If it does not come to that point, it is meaningless. Yeah, they didn't say that it's illegal. They said it's meaningless. It's, in other words, they say that it's not working. Another view of democracy, people say that basically democracy, it has, got, it has got to have two fundamental things embedded in it. It has got to have social justice and economic justice. And any structure of democracy which does not talk to those things, it is useless. So now this thing that those are very deep, uh, those are deep analysis of what democracy has got to be, you know, other than just going to come and elect people. Now I think uh, we've got to look at the whole thing from that angle. But now coming to talk about democracy, because I'm interested in looking at the work of democracy, people have got to go and vote. Um, in Uganda, with the elections, with the Reni being elected, uh, they say that is rigged the elections. But Uganda is a ethnically divided country, but some of the men does have some support, and that support doesn't come from the urban areas. It comes from the rural areas. The rural people seem to be comfortable with that, and that's the thing about Africa. I mean to say that most of the opposition is is found in the urban areas. Yeah, in the urban areas, especially you know, the youths, which is unemployed. The biggest employment or the biggest, yeah, the biggest employment sector of most African countries is the informal sector. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the biggest <laughs> and the most the biggest economy. And where there you find that life is very tough. So you find that in all African countries, that's where most of the opposition lies. Yeah, like Bobby Wine and things like that. But then you find that in African uh, demographies, I mean to say demographic makeup, uh, the urbanized, the urban population is just about 30% at the most, 40%. Yeah, the biggest number of Africans are rural. And they are comfortable as long as they get one, two, three things guaranteed. They are, they, they are happy. And that's what Museveni knows. And that's what most of these dictators, they know. They take advantage of that. Isaac Homo, we're going to have to leave it there for this morning. Thank you for coming on to the show.